Tonight's show marks a milestone for Astonishing Legends. That's right. It's the one-year anniversary of when we first launched. In late September 2014, we posted our first show, Hollywood Ending, and this episode marks our 26th. Well, in that time, we've risen up to become one of the more popular shows on iTunes, and it wouldn't be possible without you guys. October is always a big month for us, and this year iTunes saw fit to highlight our show in not one, but two places on their main podcast landing page. We just want to say welcome to all of our new listeners. We're so glad you found us. Those of you that went through our old shows probably noticed that we have evolved a little bit, and we will continue to, because each show we do is a lesson on how to make the next one better. Except for this one. No, well, <laughs> this is the best show ever, Scott. Oh, and another thing, I wanted to thank everybody who sent us some really great emails, and we've gotten a ton of them recently. It's, it's really kind of exploded. I've always wanted this show to be really interactive. It was one of my main goals. Thank you for that. So before we begin, I just wanted to say tonight that it is our intention to scare you. So don't say you weren't warned. After all, it's almost Halloween. Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess. The boundaries which divide life from death are at best shadowy and vague. Who shall say where the one ends and the other begins? Edgar Allan Poe. Join us tonight as we dive into the mysterious world of shadow people and those that have been haunted by them. I feel like this is one of your favorite topics, Forrest. What I will say on the record is that I think people are seeing something. I don't believe that it, this is totally sleep deprivation or... Sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis. Which we're going to talk about. Which I have experienced. Maybe I've mentioned that. Maybe in the Kakowski Intruder episode. But uh, I had a small episode of myself. And I'll tell you all about that and why I think that's different from what other people have been experiencing and who have written us about their experiences. But it's not the same. And I will say briefly here, though, when I first mentioned this to Scott as a possible Halloween topic, I wanted something scary. I wanted it to be something that we could talk about that could happen to anybody. And it seems to do that. It's a phenomenon that does seem to reach out and grab not people just living in haunted houses or living over an old Native American burial ground, but it spans the wide range of experience. I got to be honest, going in, I actually believed a lot less in the idea of shadow people than I do now. Well, that's what I wanted to say here. I mentioned it to Scott and he said, well, I think that just happens when people are sleeping or waking up. I was like, no, 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 no. It's happened in broad, sunny daylight. Yeah. It's happened in the dark of night, all different times. And then I had this urge to kind of open his eyes, so to speak, about this whole topic. Well, a lot of what I read during our research for this one wound up freaking me out. I mean, <laughs> yeah. but, but this is the other thing I noticed. This topic is a mess. I, I've had a hard time corralling it into something that we can make a show out of because there are a million people with a million different theories about what shadow people are. And on top of that, a ton of disparate stories and types of encounters seem to have all been lumped into one thing under this moniker, which for me is a little bit of a turnoff because I, I believe in everything separately. But it's like, oh, shadow person, shadow. But we're putting everything in that column. I'm saying that all those things are distinct 
and just as scary, but not necessarily – I don't think they should all necessarily be labeled shadow people. But as far as I know, the shadow people don't have a union or anything, so <laughs> well, you know, no one's complaining. Well, you may have to pay out a shop foreman uh, right. for monitoring the session. But I think, though, I can make a connection yeah. maybe to all of it. I agree with you in that I think there are different areas. It's all been lumped in because they're all kind of shadowy, and it is part of the shadow world. But they're distinct. We'll make those distinctions clear tonight for you. The closest thing that I can attribute the recent resurgence of shadow people is probably when Art Bell started talking about them on Coast to Coast back in 2002, which for our listeners that don't know this, it's hard to believe that they're – some that do, but I, I think there's a lot because we. I think we've brought some new people to this genre. I, I know people that have not seen the first Star Wars. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> well, there you go. Okay, Art Art's show it was a late night broadcast radio show. He is actually back on the air now, but the sh- his old show is run by a guy named George Nori. It's about topics that go way beyond what we do on our show. And it has since evolved and fractured. But it's reasonable to think that when the term shadow people really started to get into the popular culture, it was because he was talking about it a lot on his program. Now, the only thing it seems to me like everyone can agree on about them is that no one knows what they really are. No. I mean, even the folks who have done scientific studies to try and determine what causes shadow people to appear can't tell you the answer to that question. So I don't really know. Where do we start? Well, quickly, I just wanted to say also, this is not a new phenomenon. This has been going on since the dawn of time. That's right. And I should make that clear. Even though it it got into the zeitgeist with Coast to Coast, it's been around a long time. Oh, yeah. Back in the Middle Ages, they were called phantom monks. Right. And uh, sometimes phantom clowns. And uh, before that, they were just probably scary, hairy Neanderthal shadows. Seriously, though, (laughs) uh, since the recording of human history, people have been seeing these things. So having said that... Why don't we visit some of what our listeners wrote in about their own experiences? That's a good idea. This this is, after all, the Halloween show. And for the first time, we reached out to you guys for some stories. And a lot of people wrote in, actually, more than we expected, uh, showing you that this is, in fact, as reported in a variety of places, a widespread phenomenon. So we picked a few of these out to share with you guys. Uh, Forrest, why don't you start out with that one from Meredith Ebersol? Okay. Or Ebersol? Uh, she specifically told me that it was Ebersol. She- <laughs> well, there you go. All right, then. I will, not, I will not contest that. Okay. Okay. Well, Meredith writes, I've had a few different types of what I'd call shadow people encounters, most of which have been the result of me staying up too late and seeing things that just aren't there because I'm sleep deprived. But the scariest have been when I'm asleep and well rested or falling asleep. I've already attributed most of it to sleep paralysis, anxiety, trauma, stress-related stuff, but it's always the man in the hat. He's very unrelated to the shadow people I've seen moving around in the bushes, darting across the street after an all-nighter. He comes into my room, and I'm not ever as scared as I am just seemingly numb to caring about whatever nightmare he's trying to taunt me with. It's more of a feeling than it is waking up and laying eyes on him. But the hat has always been important. Why is that? All right, first things first, Meredith. I pulled a million all-nighters in college. And I never saw shadow people darting in and out of the bushes, so you might want to get that looked at. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, I mean, as, as editors, you know, we, we pulled, yeah, for work, we pulled too, yeah. uh, tons of all-nighters staring at flickering screens yes. and, and in college staring at print and whatever. But I can understand the feeling, but that's never happened to me yet. What is that? So tell me what, I couldn't find anything about, the. I mean, there's a billion things about the hat man, but I couldn't find anything about why... He has a hat on. Okay, well, you know, it's funny because that's a resulting question that I have, one of my biggest, because it's a concrete thing. And I don't want to get too deep into it because we can really go into a bunch of other entities because I've heard many stories about 
entities with horns. It's like, what is the purpose of that? Like, what, yeah. are, you, what are they, fighting other horned entities? But the hat figures prominently with Men in Black. Oh, Heard yeah, of sure, of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, other shadowy entities, especially the legends of the hat man, and one big theory that I've heard, it's not really attributable to anybody, I think, uh, is that the hat is an approximation of modern dress by something not of this world. Right. That was the, very, trying, ne- yeah. the very next thing I was going to say. <laughs> okay. Except, like, I'm just trying to blend in. <laughs> <laughs> but, wait, this is 1955, right? right? And we're all wearing hats It's still. like when Captain Kirk comes down, they come down to Earth in the <laughs> 60s. And then, yeah. You know. No, that was a, uh, it's, it's a great trope in every time-traveling movie. Remember, uh, t- is it Time After Time and... Malcolm McDowell uh, goes back in time, but he's got the, you know, he's, he's wearing tweed clothes. Uh, Christopher Reeves yeah, goes Christopher back. Reeve, yeah. Yes. And he goes back and he's like, he's being laughed at because he's got clothes from the 1890s, but, but darted it's 1910 and we're, we've got modern fashion. Yes. So I don't think the hat man cares all that much. There is something very symbolic about it because what's the point of that? That's the big question. Yeah. And I, and I actually asked Meredith, I wrote her back and said, had you heard about the hat man when this was happening? And she actually said she hadn't heard of him until about 10 years later. She said, quote, when I heard Hatman described outside of my personal experience, it was both chilling and comforting, and that this phenomenon was documented by other people as well. Right. You want to know that you're not the only one, and that it's a commonality. Well, so here's the thing. The Hatman is one of eight categories of shadow people, as determined by a multitude of emails and stories that author Jason Offutt received on his blog, which is called From the Shadows. Very interesting place to go, by the way, if you're into this stuff. I don't think he himself would say that he's the last voice on what categories there are, but he was able to identify these categories from submissions to his website. Benign shadows, uh, which I think is probably the one you most want if you're going to have a shadow person. <laughs> I don't think you <laughs> want, want any, benign. really, yeah, other than yeah. your own. Shadows of terror, the ones you don't want. Red-eyed shadows. Noisy shadows. Angry hooded shadows. Shadows that attack Shadow cats. <laughs> what? But in case yeah. your regular cat doesn't terrify you enough. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I just hope he's using the shadow litter box. Yeah, and then my personal favorite, the one we've just been talking about, the uh, the hat man. And I think that is my personal favorite. Well, you know, people think that— I said my personal favorite. Don't say the same thing I said. No, I told you about this subject, man. You but thought I it was said just the Hatman was my personal favorite. You can't no, no. You, you said say. let's not do this sh- this episode about this subject because I, th- I just think it's what people are waking up, right? That's what it's about. Right. And my thing I is ch- that hey, I changed my tune. That's true because I think once you saw all the information out there, it would befuddle you and mystify you, and I think that's happened. Uh, but my what I was thinking about the most mysterious and maybe the most concrete of all these is the being, the three dimensional yeah. Hatman. The, the the shadow man that I think of that sometimes has the red glowing eyes, but always the hat, usually a trench coat, and it, it watches. Yeah. And and, and, one, yeah. and then there's some categories of them that apparently feed on fear or terror. At least that's what they well, say. I, that's what yeah. some of the exorcists say. There's priests that say, this thing wants you to be afraid of it. And that's what it's coming around for. It's coming around for that energy. Yeah. And I, if you I, believe any of this at all. <laughs> well, no, and, and you may not. That's perfectly fair. But I think to those that are sane, healthy, mentally healthy people, emotionally sound, when you see something like this and you have no reason for it, that makes it even more scary. Because that's the thing. If you're seeing the ghost of what might be a Grandpa Fred and he's come back to tell you he loves you, well, that's a little bit comforting because that's the question. Why the hat? Why the trench coat? What do they want? Well, that's always, oh, uh, Richard Gere asks Alan Bates. We're going to talk about this a little bit later in another hit another thread here. But the question is not what they want, but why you? 
Yeah, and also, I think, especially this Halloween, we need to remind our listeners that Grandpa Fred isn't always <laughs> Grandpa Fred. He might just look like him. Oh, that's true. Boy, there's some great stories. There's an element here that of the trickster god, of the trickster entity. And what do they want? They they get off. They start out uh, as kid, little kids. Yeah. So, oh, look at that cute little kid. It wants to throw the ball. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not what's happening. No, but people have seen relatives. There's a great, oh, we should mention, if you like hearing firsthand accounts of these stories phoned in by people, I that's one of the podcasts I first started listening to in the subject, uh, Jim Harold's Campfire. Yes. And that's all it is, is people calling in and he kind of moderates it, but they tell their stories. And some, you know, are kind of less believable. Some are more, some just really get at your core. Some of the best ghost stories I've I've ever heard have been on that show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Takes, no, it takes some work to get through all of them. Yes, of course. Uh, but one, you know, talking about the mirror person or the shadow person, this woman describes, uh, I think, sleep, falling asleep on her couch, waking up, and it's her mom, who is still alive at the time, standing behind the couch, I think either holding a laundry basket or something, but basically, you know, in, in the rec room. She's, oh, hey, mom, what are you, what are you doing? And, and the, the entity turns into this weird, twisted, sick grimace. And then just kind of va- and then vanishes in a twist of fog. Yeah. And the the smile she describes sounds like the devil in the diner. Right. Just that sick, gut wrenching, chill you to the core of your soul. Yeah. Kind of sick, demonic smile. And what's it getting at? It's like I tricked you. Yeah. And now I'm getting off that little bit of fear that you've exhibited. But see, that's uh, one thing you hear about is that they move towards you. Some of them, if they're in your bedroom, we'll get to some things where they might try and attack you. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned I want to read this other letter that we got from our listener, Nick, that has something like that going on. And can I read? Oh, yeah, that's a great one. All right. Nick writes, I had started dating my wife about six and a half years ago, and I think we'd been dating for a few months when I had the experience. I was in bed going to sleep. But unlike most nights, this was the first time I went to sleep on the side of her bed that was closest to the bedroom door. I didn't have any weird feeling before I went to sleep, didn't stay up too late, didn't watch any horror movies that night, and I didn't drink that night either. I tried to eliminate anything that may have been something that would have affected my mind in some way. Anyway, I fall asleep, and the next thing I know, I'm awake and lying on my back with my blanket up to my chin. Nothing was weird until I tried to move, and I realized that I couldn't. This was very unsettling, but it wasn't as unsettling as what I saw when I looked over at the doorway and noticed something a little off. It was dark in the doorway, but it was the middle of the night, so it should be dark. What I noticed was that the doorway looked darker than other parts. As I started squinting to try and see better, the darkness looked to have taken a shape, and the shape looked like the silhouette of a woman. Now, I knew it wasn't my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, maybe going to the bathroom in the middle of the night because she was sleeping next to me. Now, I'm freaking out thinking someone broke into the house and that someone is now slowly walking towards me, and I still couldn't move. I tried to look away and close my eyes, but I could feel it getting closer and closer until I could hear that it was at the side of the bed next to me. It leaned over around my midsection, and it sounded like an open mouth breathing sound. It slowly started moving its head up towards my head. My heart was now beating out of my chest, and I'm thinking, this is it. This is how I'm going out. The next thing that happens is that I move, finally to my side, and the thing is gone. As I start to calm down, heart still beating out of my chest, I start fighting falling asleep again. And as I start to eventually lose the battle with sleep, I notice a semi-silhouette in the doorway as I finally pass out. Okay, so this is definitely one the scientific community will probably classify as sleep paralysis or 
isolated sleep paralysis or RISP, recurrent isolated sleep paralysis, like if, it, if it's happening over and over, which I experienced a little myself, but I get this and that there are diagnostic elements of this story that would fit in that category. Right. Right. Well, and getting back to the Kakowski intruder, which you brought up earlier, and for those of you of our listeners that haven't heard that story, it's a good one. You should go back to episode 10 of our show. But that was about something strange that haunted Liz Kakowski and her brother Craig while they were growing up in their childhood home. And it, the weird thing about it is that it happened to them at the same age, although those ages did not coincide for them. They were like 10 years apart. Yeah, that they didn't know about. Yeah. Right? And yeah. then they found out about it way later. Anyway, it's it's an interesting story. But she described – they both described something that came very close to a shadow person, I would say. And not well, really, well, it was never clear. It was no, just there. This, it was this presence that was there. That was the great thing about the story that that freaked me out is that – it's not from their perspective. They're seeing it from this entity's perspective. Yeah, from its perspective. Going down the hall. And that's yeah. another characteristic is that this repeated motion. I've heard I've, – uh, since then, I've heard a lot of stories regarding that, is that this repeated motion. Yes. The same thing overnight, night after night. And that's what builds terror is that you know it's coming. That's right. And I guess what well, Craig had found out about this documentary that just came out recently called The Nightmare – and this is a movie all about sleep paralysis and resulting encounters with shadow people, among other things. So if, if you've had an experience with shadow people or sleep paralysis or are just interested in the topic, it's definitely worth checking out. There's even a guy in it named Forrest. What? <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. What, what, what do you yeah, mean? Yeah, I watched it today. It oh, like, you did? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, now I need Forrest to know more about Forrest had some issues. This. Yeah, it's, uh, it's scary. What? It's yeah. Seriously, with, with two R's and everything. Well, I don't know how he spelled it. He was... <laughs> Okay. In an, he's being interviewed. Oh, I see. Oh, okay, is this? No, is this <laughs> didn't say hi. I'm Forrest with two R's. No, is this a is it is this a documentary? To a well, I, group you, of trees. You would you would if you were doing an interview. That's how we do them in in, in the corporate world. It's like and then right. the other instruction that uh, we we told Sam. Yeah, there was there was yeah. no Chiron. So <laughs> include the question in your answer. Yes. That's the other big thing. Right. No, uh, my my thing is is that I had a little bit of that myself, but not a huge difference between what these folks are describing. Yeah. You want me to talk about that? Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, very quickly, I work freelance, so there's some, you know, there could be a couple of weeks where I'm just at home doing regular stuff Oak and Island. sleeping in. That's when yes. we did Oak Island. Oh, my when, God. When that's you were right. between gigs. <laughs> Thank goodness that was, uh, that, that lined up perfectly because, yeah, that was every day. That was my job. Uh, but it was a morning like that, nice sunny morning. You know, sun's coming up. I kind of let that wake me up. And I just noticed, I came to the realization that I could not move. And then. It started to freak me out. Like, I, I can't, I know I'm waking up. I'm pretty much awake. Like, I've always said this as a, as a mantra to myself or, and to others, I guess, is that I don't know when I'm sleeping, but I know when I'm awake. I guess that sounds like the Santa Claus. <laughs> the, yeah, it was the night before Christmas. But no, it's, you, you it's know, Halloween you know, for us, so yeah. Halloween show. I see. But you, you know what I'm saying, right? Is that when you're dreaming, you're just in the dream. Unless you have a lucid dream and then you realize you're dreaming and you can do all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. But you don't really know that you're dreaming until you wake up. And then, you know, like every morning, boy, do I know I'm awake because I have to go to work at 630. I know I'm awake. Well, you know, it's funny you should mention this because a friend of mine actually forwarded me an article from just yesterday, October 21st, that was in the Daily Mail in the UK about the documentary that oh. that Craig Kikowski and or Craig and Liz had brought to our attention, and it had this excerpt in the article that I'd like to read. According to Professor Chris French, psychologist at Goldsmiths University of London and one of the UK's leading experts in sleep paralysis, scientists have only a rough idea of what causes sleep paralysis and why some suffer more than others. 
During a normal night's sleep, you go through 90-minute cycles, and within each, you go through different stages of sleep. One of these is REM, or rapid eye movement sleep, or REM sleep. This is the phase typically associated with vivid dreams, and during REM sleep, it is normal for your muscles to be paralyzed to stop you acting out your dreams. People are most likely to recall their dreams when they awake during REM sleep. Normally, as our bodies come out of REM sleep, we gain control over our muscles before we wake, but with sleep paralysis, something goes wrong. The conscious mind wakes up, but the body doesn't. And in this halfway house between sleeping and waking, images and hallucinations from dreams break into reality. Wow. Okay. So tell me, you're laying in bed. You can't yeah. move. How did that? How did that? How, did you see anything evil or crazy? Well, no, or? This, this, <laughs> well uh, no. This is the differentiation I'm making. Is that I started to wake up, and you know, you don't remember your dreams. It wasn't like I. Oh, I wish I had another twenty minutes to go back to sleep because it's such a great dream. I just remember it's it's light out. It's start. It's time to wake up, and I cannot move. And then the next thought that pops into my mind right after I cannot move, I cannot open my eyes. That's another thing. It wasn't like I woke up and I saw something in the room. That would that's much more scary. But I imagine the thought of that. There could be a man standing over my bed. And the moment that that happened, I started to imagine the possibility. Now, I'll make that clear. The possibility that there was a tall figure standing over my bed and that I could not move. And that fact there, that's what freaked me out. Just of my character, I'm the kind of I, I think ever since I was a little kid, I, I, was, I could never understand little kids that get scared and hide under the covers because even as a little kid, like, they know you're still there. They see this big lump. What's, <laughs> what's the point in that? Now, hide under the bed, but get your bat out, you know, or like your, yeah, your Boy Scout the bed, There's monsters under the bed. I mean, no, no, I never thought, no, I'm very more practical. I was much more practical about it. It's like, I'm getting behind the door. Yeah. Uh, who's the, the Matt Damon, the spy? The, um, Jason Bourne. Yeah, I'm going to Jason Bourne my way out of it. I'm getting behind the door. With a mag- rolled yeah. up magazine? No, no, no. I, well, I, you know, I had the Boy Scout knife and, yeah. and a bat, and it's like, uh, I'm yeah, not... You're going to beat the crap out of something that is ethereal and in the form of a gas. I don't know what it... <laughs> <laughs> you don't know that as a kid. No, it's... Well, as a kid, it was more uh, solid. It was right. boogeyman, this and that. Okay. Uh, or, you know, as a kid, I, I did... I was a news junkie then. It was like, no, no, it's an intruder. Right. And unfortunately, that does happen to yeah. families. But my point is... I'm not going down without a fight. I'm not going to be under the covers. Okay, so getting back to the story, though, I didn't get that feeling that a lot of people describe that this dark entity presence that was evil or mysterious. It was the possibility, the very real possibility, that somebody was now just observing me standing over. And then that kind of manifested into this fight or flight thing, and I could do neither. I could neither fight nor flight. <laughs> but And this is a, a tip. If this happens to you, what you should do you try to move like a, uh, your pinky, a uh, finger, uh, some small part of your body, wiggle your toes. That will get your motor senses going. A, a, a twilight zone or an outer limits where the guys have been rolled down to the morgue. Oh, he's well, like yes. on the thing and yeah, like he's, he's alive. He's trying to yeah. move his pinky and they're not seeing. And then finally, I think he cries and oh, the tears. Yes, that's him. right. Yeah. That's right. Well, that's a whole other thing. I, that scared the crap out of me. Well, yeah, because you're, yeah. they're about to perform an autopsy on you, cut, cut a big Y into your chest. Uh, but my thing was just, uh, I needed to, I needed to wake up to defend myself. That was really what was going into my mind. Of course that you get that frenzy when you can't do that. Cause I, that doesn't happen very often. Okay. So that finally I, I start, you know, wiggling some fingers and I slowly come out of it and I see that there's nobody there. It's a bright, sunny Los Angeles day and the weather is just perfect. 
Now, here's the button to the story, as I like to say. It's like, whoa, whoa, thank goodness that was just a dream. And I can move now. And I get up and I go into the kitchen. And since it was like a very warm night, I noticed that I had left the back door wide open. And then I thought, there could have been somebody standing over me. Well, maybe subconsciously your mind was trying to remind you of something that you had consciously forgotten. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's, you know, that what, that's what kept the cavemen alive, right. is that sleep in the trees, don't fall out, uh, because there are bad things running around on the ground that will eat you. Now that, uh, I was going to ask you, have you as a father ever experienced night terrors with a child? Yes, Okay. Absolutely. You know, because they say that's a whole different thing. That's not, not a lot, though. Yeah. Fortunately, with, with my son, it hasn't. It's, it, I feel like it's only happened once or twice, but it's horrific. Yeah. Now, see, I tend to believe the scientific line on that, the, the new thinking is that it's not a bad dream. It's not even, uh, even supernatural or paranormal. It's just it's an old memory in our DNA of falling out of trees. Right, right. Well, yeah, yeah. that's what they call the, uh, the hypnagogic, yes. hypnagogic jerk. <laughs> Was, By the way, this, Steve this Martin is a was family great in that. show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. No, no so, like, yes, right. So what I had, it's like a, a nap jerk. You know, when you, yeah. you right when you're falling asleep, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah your muscles they, they don't really know what causes it. But no, but really I, so categorically, what I had was a was a classic hypnopompic experience, which is upon awakening. Yes. Uh, post-dormital, pre-dormital, as you're falling asleep, that's the hypnagogic or hypnagogia. Right. That's when you're going to have the jerk. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I'm just sorry. Say jerk no, no, it's, it's just, okay. but it's just, yeah, it's fun to hear, I'm yeah. sure, as, as well to say. But that's my differentiation is that to me, when I woke up, my classification of that immediately was, oh, that's just, it's a physiological thing. Yeah. I was just imagining that there was nothing paranormal about it. Now, these other folks who have written in, I definitely think that it, there's more to it because it's, it's the core of the, the, the fear. When, you know, when people tell us some ghost stories, and they get this sick, sinking feeling. Yeah. Uh, like the devil in the diner. Now, a lot of people would say, like, well, that's just a, she saw a weird guy in a diner. That's uh, episode that's, six of yeah. our show for people that are. My point that. is, that's not the point, is that she felt it to her very core. And I can't explain that to you until you experience it yourself. And, and I guarantee if you do, you will never forget it. That's right. Because it's not, that's what I'm saying. That's what makes it different. It's, look, she, that's what we said in the episode. She's lived in New York for many years. She's seen a lot of weirdos. This was not that. Yeah. This was something More. from the other side. Okay, so we're going to read uh, one more letter we got. One of, one of the scarier ones I thought we got uh, when we called out to hear some stories about shadow people from our listeners. This one's from Jessica Broughton. Um, hopefully I'm saying her name right, but that was the name of my high school, spelled the same way, so I'm, I'm going to go with it. Oh, I think, I, think you're, I think you're good. You're close. All right, so uh, I'm going to let you read this one, Forrest. Okay. Well, here are some excerpts from what Jessica wrote. I began sensing an ominous presence when a boyfriend and I moved in together. We'd found an apartment for much cheaper than it should have been, and the back room was always eerie. Every time I opened the closet door, a dark spider would shimmy out. I couldn't figure out where they were coming from. I began having horrible nightmares, with evil so vivid I'd cry myself to sleep knowing what was to come in dreams. I stopped sleeping in that room, but even in sharing a wall with that closet, the nightmares and dread continued. I eventually began passing out watching TV in the living room. Not great for a budding romance. One evening, my boyfriend fell asleep on the couch, waiting for me to come to bed. He began gasping for air while laying perfectly still on his back, his face not changing. It scared me, but I chalked it up to a sleep irregularity and continued watching TV. Then I heard it again. This time, when I looked back, his face was turning red and his eyebrows were puckering together in distress. 
He clearly couldn't breathe. I tried shaking him awake, but to no avail. Eventually, I slapped him into consciousness. When he finally woke up, he gasped and shot right up, holding his throat with tears in his eyes. He told me there was a man, all in black, wearing a hat, standing in the corner watching him sleep, and he was watching me watch TV as if he weren't asleep at all. The man was then suddenly on top of him, choking him. He said he tried to wake up, but couldn't. As time went on, he spent more and more time in that room, making it a dark room for photo development. I warned against it, but he said he wasn't going to let a dream scare him. Our dog would not even enter that room and barked whenever we were in there for us to come out of it. One night, I had fallen asleep on the same couch, lying on my back. I could see the room I was in and all surroundings from my physical vantage point, and there he was, standing in the corner. He wasn't dressed in black. He was the color black, like the shadow of a man in a fedora but with dimension. He stood there for what seemed like forever, and all I did or possibly could do was look at him, never taking my eyes off him, filling with an unsettled anxiety. Without warning, he zoomed toward me like a roller coaster on tracks. So smoothly, he was straddling me with his fingers wrapped very tightly around my neck. I could feel them squeezing, and I was paralyzed. I couldn't move my arms to fight back. I didn't see him approach, but my boyfriend slapped me awake as well, remembering that that was my solution to his previous experience. A consuming insomnia engulfed me after that. I never wanted to sleep again, and I desperately wanted to get that thing out of my house. I'd like to say that we lived happily ever after, but he descended into kind of a depressed madness, and eventually we broke up. I moved away, and as far as I know, he still lives in that apartment, in that dark room, with that thing. I honestly hope he's well. Okay. <laughs> what? That one's kind of uh, heavy. Oh, the first thing about, I thought about this story when I read it is there's a whole lot of slapping going on. <laughs> well, slapping people awake. Yes, it's, and maybe it's in uh, the movie airplane fashion. Yes, yeah. where uh, people are taking turns. Uh, there this was, has a, we, we got a hat man. We got strangulation. We got paralysis. It's all kind of in there. Well, now uh, there's an interesting description because this is what I like about all these stories. And I make connections and I remember things and I compile. So people talk about the rules. One is visual and that the description of him, and you know what it reminds me of, I've heard this quite a bit, is that it's not like a two-dimensional shadow where, where light is blocked out. They have some form to them, but it's almost like they're absorbing light. And then, it, you know, okay, remember the old iTunes uh, commercials? It was really the first, and I actually met the guy that that worked on that, and you, would, you might know that, he worked for Shiat Day and yes, developed the- Yes, uh, of course. Yeah, of course, and developed yeah, the, the concept. Cut all those, actually. Well, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. The company that I used to work at, cut all, cut all, a bunch of those. Yeah, that we know a lot of people from, but- What you haven't gotten around to saying yeah. yet is you're talking about the original iPod commercial. Yes, of course. If you remember those, that's what it reminds me of, because it wasn't, and I love the way they did it, because it wasn't just cut out two-dimensional yeah. shadows, you know what I'm saying? It's a silhouette. You could make out the edge, the shape, and it was it was a really good creative decision, but it had a, it gave it a little bit of shape, a little bit of form, which is how people describe this, and this is how I think that this appears to people uh, who see them in the middle of the day, at night, and I've heard there's a great story, uh, one of the first ones uh, I've heard on Jim Harold's campfire is a guy describing three of them, watching him from under a street light at different positions, red glowing eyes, and he said that you could make out the side of the shape. The light was coming off of them, but they were they were sucking in light. This is a guy who's wide awake, right? When he's when yeah. He's oh no, no, this is like seven p.m. And one more thing, it's the vibe he got, and the vibe he got was get away, get away from these people. This is not good. Whatever they want, 
it's not going to be good for you. So get back into your house. So that's my point. There's, there's not only is it the look of this, it's the zooming, the movement. I've heard that as well. And one other story I wanted to mention, uh, again, a little piece of information I pieced together from all of these stories collectively is that a guy talks about when he was a little kid sleeping in his bedroom. And I think he was, maybe he was in his brother's bedroom and shadow people entered and they had that motion where they're floating, which now makes me think of the, the movie, which you haven't seen, Dark City, which are very shadow people-like and might tie into aliens. That's one other thing. Studying us for some reason of their own, but they, they float. And the way this young boy described their motion is that they entered from the wall and crossed the room. Now, what he did, though, what I, because this is, again, piecing together information, he was curious as a little kid. He reached out and touched one. Now, I'd never heard that description in a story before. I've heard of people being choked, but they're in a sense of panic and they can't breathe. That's very common. Uh, but what he did, out of curiosity, he reached up and touched like either the long trench coat of one. And this is very curious because he said it, it felt like very soft velvet. And what the creature entity did was rock back. Like, remember those old punching bag toys yeah. that were weighted on the bottom and you blew I them up? Couldn't knock them over. Exactly. Like I had, a, like, we all had one as a kid because it was a cheap, fun toy. Like a weeble. Yeah, you, you just, you know, it was like a little kid, you pound on it. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Well, this one didn't either. He, he rocked back like he was floating in midair. And then he righted himself and continued on and went through the wall, I believe. Now, you, you, you listeners could probably go back and find that story somewhere. I was fascinated by the tactile interaction Well, in that the, it felt like velvet. Because like what, what do they feel like? Well, you know? in the nightmare, in the film that we mentioned earlier in the documentary, there was a woman in that film who also reached out and touched one that she was having an experience with. And she experienced an electrical charge almost like it was electric and there was a vibration that like permeated her whole body and the interesting thing about that by the way coming back around to some of the scientific explanations not that we're discounting spiritual ones by any means we're just we'd like to cover all our bases absolutely but uh it's it's interesting in that there seems to be a tie-in with electrical disturbances in the body and in the brain and the possibility of epilepsy being Mm -hmm. connected to seeing these kinds of things which is something we're going to come around to in a minute actually Which brings me to my next point. For as many people that have experienced shadow people, as far as we can tell, there's only been one scientific study on it. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, mean, we we put tests on it. She's got access to everything. and (laughs) Scholarly papers that we do not. Yeah. (laughs) But also, I looked around, too. There there was not a whole lot going on. It's a whole other thing that I have an issue with where (laughs) the the scientific community doesn't want to look at things that are a little strange. Now, lo and behold, though, this study actually produced some information. Well, yeah, quickly, though, you know why? Because they don't have any answers beyond what they've what they've found already, I think, and what yeah. they've studied. But I did read this article. It is fascinating. And uh, at the end, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit, because I know somebody with that condition. Okay. All right. So when the, this was from uh, the journal Nature, and this was in 2006. The title of the article was Induction of an Illusory Shadow Person. Now, this is a pretty fascinating study. They figured out that by stimulating the left side of the brain, they could get this 22-year-old woman to think that there was a shadow person just out of reach of her at all different points beside and behind her. And by the way, when I was reading this, I could, if anyone's had any experience with Photoshop or any sort of <laughs> oh, the, you're trying to do a drop shadow yeah. or any sort of graphic editing software where you can choose 
where the shadow falls, 45 degrees down, you know, southeast, northwest, <laughs> whatever. That's basically what they did with uh, <laughs> this poor girl. Oh, you know? yeah. They were somehow, they were stimulating her mind, and she was like, oh, it's just behind me. It's just next to me. But you, did you look at the study? <laughs> did you read Wait, it? No, yeah, but are, are you saying that uh, they did this in the little diagram in the, in the, <laughs> in the article itself, or is they actually induced this? Well, no, when this, you look at the study. They induced this in, yeah, in her they sensory in, perception. Both. There's oh. a diagram that yes. makes you think of that <laughs> right, right. In, the, in the study. And, and we can't, actually can't put the study on the website because it is copyright protected. But, uh, but we do have a link to an article that talks about it. Um, yes. That, well, that, yeah. No, and it, and it's good. It's actually it's one page. It's, it's great. It's yeah, got it's some a quick great. Read. It's got some great t- tongue twisters in there, which I'm going to try and get through right now. But but basically, what's happening is that they're applying electrical stimulation at about 10 milliamps. Yes. Okay. And it's a result of focal electrical stimulation of the left temporal parietal junction, the TPJ. But what's happening is that when they stimulate this, she's getting a sensation. Of this person. Now, I have some uh, things to point out here in this article that I don't know if it's out of place here, but some things that I found that don't jibe. But what's happening is that when they stimulate this part of the brain, and it reminded me of the gun helmet, remember that? Yes. Okay. Which we've talked about a fair amount. Yeah, no, she, you're right. But she's a 22 year old, psychiatrically healthy woman, except that she's got epilepsy. She's a surgical candidate for epilepsy. Right. And so they're. Which is why they're doing the study. She was a patient of normal psychiatric history. So, okay, so she's not psychotic. She's not uh, schizophrenic. Yes, and most importantly, not schizophrenic. Yes, exactly, because that sometimes does happen. But there was a difference, though, and this is one of the things they said in the study. She had the very distinct sense that this thing, this shadow that they were inducing for her was another person. It was not a shadow of her. It was not herself removed or a second copy of her, which is what schizophrenics would identify in this scenario. She was experiencing something else. Yeah. Now that contradicts the the article itself, I believe, because in the article, the gist I got was that she's just experiencing a copy of herself that she's not aware of. It's it's herself. This is just a phenomenon. And that the it's a young person, as she described, of indeterminate sex, which, you know, so they don't know if it's male or female. She is quoted as saying that it's a man behind me. Well, yeah, she said at different times, she said she felt like this man was trying to take things from her hands or that he didn't want her to do certain things. Like they gave this, they gave her this card to read. And at one point she actually said, he wants to take the card. He doesn't want me to read it. Now that is a common thing with paranoid delusion is that something, someone, some entity, some force is working against you. And yeah, what she was doing is they were having her do some reading exercises with cards. And then uh, what it was doing though was mimicking her body position. So once they had her prone, she was laying on her back and she said, I think the uh, the entity is, <laughs> the man, she said, yeah. is underneath me. Right. And then when they had her sit up and have her arms wrapped around her legs in a sitting position, it was kind of back and to the left, back yeah. and to the left of her, not yes. to, you know, JFK reference there. Basically, it's a mirror of her, but not exactly, which is what the article describes. So I, I see a little contradiction here. Because it's it's not exactly a mirror of her as a young woman, right? Well, she she thought it was a man, and 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 again, the experience was disturbing. It was unpleasant. Well, it's super it's super fascinating. I mean, it's 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 very interesting that they could get this to happen. But but this study, and oftentimes studies like it on topics like this, operate on a very critical supposition that for me might be considered a little bit vain, depending on your perspective. And and that is that the stimulation of the brain is creating an illusion. As opposed to other possibilities, like maybe revealing something that we can't normally see or maybe even creating something from within that is real 
but normally invisible to us. <laughs> well, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, that's I'm sorry. A, I'm going way down the rabbit are you, hole. There, well, but. no. I, I hope I'm not going way down the, uh, the storyline here because that is one of my big points is, you know, because, you know, methamphetamine addicts and people who take a lot of <laughs> Benadryl, which you had some connection to. Yes. Uh, one of your relatives, I believe, your uncle invented Benadryl. Uh, no, my grandfather was part of the team that uh, ah, that I discovered see. Benadryl. Yeah, we'll, we'll give him compliments on the uh, on the pink. Uh, it's, it's very <laughs> it's a very pleasing color. Anyway, uh, no, they described this as uh, either a result of insomnia and staying up for days and days, which happens to meth addicts, or possibly it's a biochemical pharmaceutical reaction. But my question is, is the biochemistry here, the pharmaceutical aspect of this, the chemistry causing this illusion, or is it letting you see what's really there? I believe little kids and animals see things that us adults, as scientific, smart, rational beings, possibly can't be seeing. I give them the benefit of the doubt that they're seeing something. And a little side note here, this couple that we know, some friends of ours, have a, a great little story, and I don't want to press it too much because it does upset some people. But the wife of this couple once reported that uh, their child as a, as a toddler, I don't know, maybe five or six, that in their bedroom, and they're in there one night, the child says to the mother, who's the yellow man standing? Who's that purple man standing? in this purple. What? I was going to say, it wasn't yellow. Sorry, it was sorry. Yeah, you're right. No, no, because some, there's another story yeah. where somebody just, I was going to talk about that, yeah. color people. Yes. There are different color entities. So that one night as she's tucking the kid in, the child says to her, what is that purple man doing in the corner? And she's like, what, what purple man are you talking about? Is that the purple man? He's standing in the corner watching us. And of course, as an adult, that can't possibly be true. They have an overactive imagination, and it's some story that they just read, which wasn't, you know, a story they just read. They're obviously making this up. Okay, just go to sleep. You'll be fine. Okay, so fast forward a few years later with their second child, about the same age, and again, they're tucking them in. Mommy, who is that purple man standing in the corner watching us? And that just, ugh, because something yeah. is keeping tabs on them. Unrelated, like the Kakowski intruder. Unrelated, happening years apart, same entity. Yeah. Okay. And, and I wanted to speak briefly. That's another uh, version of the Watchers. Are these color entities, people who are described as all yellow, all red? This woman uh, tells a great story of, of some red figure face, like, like you'd paint, like you'd grease painted them all red, wearing an all red kind of cloak, sitting on the couch in her living room watching her. I can't imagine anything creepier. Something slowly turns its head to see you watching them, watching you. So there you go. But there is something about the color. I don't know why. Why, you know, why the fantastical all colors, uh, sometimes horns again? Yeah, horns. I I have never seen anything like this. I I don't know. Have you? (laughs) I mean, you had, obviously, you had a paralysis incident. I have not had. I've had waking nightmares where I woke up and my eyes were open and I saw things that weren't there. Oh, you did? Well, well, yeah. I mean, one time we were actually oh, staying no, that, together when I... That was when... an auditory hallucination. A visual which, as well. Oh, you, what did you see? Oh, you saw a train. Yeah, I saw a train. On the, the street. Yeah. That was interesting. An old-timey locomotive. <laughs> I mean, went, like straight out of uh, yeah. uh, Deadwood or something. No, like, but cow that's... Catcher and... <laughs> everything. Oh, I did. I thought it was a more of a modern locomotive. Oh, no. Saying, like, no, it was old. It had all the colors on it, the red yeah. and the green and the... It's in wow. my, it's in one of my son's train books, actually. 
but I mean, this was before we bought that book. I yeah, exactly. And you know what? This is this happened before we actually read up and knew more about this. And when you describe it, because I remember at the time you said like, "Did you drop a shampoo bottle in the tub?" Because there was a loud bang. It's like, no, no, I'm I'm over here ten feet away at this. At yeah, the we, did, couch. we had gone to uh, Flagstaff, Arizona, to attend an off-road expo with my Jeep. And we were staying, we purposefully, as you, <laughs> as you guys might expect with us, yeah. selected the most haunted hotel in Flagstaff. <laughs> Saw nothing, of course. Yeah, no, yeah. and we should, uh, what was the name of it? The uh, Monte Ma- Vista? Monte Vista. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's a great hotel. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it was fun. I didn't, I, that's that point where earlier in the story, which is kind of weird, when people, I'm kind of comforted by it when you see something very out of this world and strange and threatening. You yeah. go right to sleep, which I don't understand. No, everyone does that. And actually, I came across that a lot of times in these shadow people stories. And, and it's the same thing, by the way, in the Monte Vista. We didn't see anything, but no. I did have that dream. And I have dreams like that about once every four or five years. So it was a little strange that I had it there you, right. in that hotel, which the room we were in was haunted supposedly because uh, some cowboy a long time ago threw a couple of prostitutes out the window to their death, uh, I believe. Or... Yes. Yeah, that is one. And there's an old lady who haunts one of the rooms, I think, either next to us. I so desperately wish I'd brought some trick lines, some monofilament fishing line yeah, you to rig to it. Yeah, yeah and, and but you know, but that's all in good fun. But we did meet a, another couple that had stayed at another hotel yeah. uh, who said they had to move out because the banging, they were on the top floor. How about you just say yeah. we did meet a couple? Okay. Not another couple, because we were not a couple. Ah, sorry. That's that okay. Just trying, like... <laughs> to apply that. I meant as two, a pair of two. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, barring uh, any kind of predilection, they claimed that the there was loud banging and they they <laughs> of a psychic nature happening above them and they were on the top floor. Right. So it was somebody walking. That, that's impossible. There's nobody living right above us on the roof. So anyway, we're uh, digressing. We're digressing, but I did want to say though, I think that that may be tying into the scientific explanations because I do believe, yeah, a lot of this could be just your physiological response to a wake sleep state. That makes perfect sense to me. But like the god helmet and the temporal parietal left probing of the, of the junction there, it doesn't explain at all. It, yeah. it it stops short. Not everybody experiences just this. Normally healthy people who are wide awake in the daytime and bright sunshine see these things. I, you know, and it's funny you should mention that because the one experience that I had just about three years ago, I was living with my family in a condo. We were in a house now, but we were in this condo and it was contemporary on the inside, relatively new structure. And my in-laws were visiting. My wife's parents were with us and we were all at home. And my son, who at the time, I guess, probably would have been about four years old, was taking a nap. In fact, everybody was taking a nap except for me. I was in the bathroom, the guest bathroom. And I was um, on the throne, as they say. <laughs> you, you are the king, Junior. <laughs> yeah, and had had yeah. my iPhone, as pretty much 90% of all people do, I think, these days. When, <laughs> when, cause, but, sure. But anyway, I'm sitting in there, and the door to the bathroom was frosted, uh, frosted glass. It had it was a wooden frame with a piece of glass in the middle that ran the whole height and width of the door, more or less, aside from the outside border. And the frost was, was very opaque, very frosted, but you could still make things out if anything was going on. And so while I'm sitting there, what happened was something passed by the doorway. It actually came from my mother and father-in-law's room, 
and went directly into my son's room because this Oof. this door was right outside of my son's room. Would you consider it a black mass? It was a- dark enough that it cast a shadow across the frost, and Ooh. it was walking, and it had you know a certain pace to it. So I actually didn't think a whole lot about it other than, well, there was two things that were strange about it. One was that I didn't hear any footsteps. I couldn't hear like right. the accompanying sounds and that's something that I felt like I would have heard, especially in this building because although it was new and it was nice, it was very poorly built. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, yeah, part of the reason we story. moved out was because our neighbors downstairs complained about us walking around. So <laughs> the... I, I, there was nothing, there was no sound with it, but I thought, oh, well, my um, my mother-in-law must have gotten up and is going in to check on my son. So I finished my business, <laughs> not to get too specific there. <laughs> Thank goodness you did. Wash my hands. And, Thank goodness you did that. Yeah, I come out of the bathroom and everyone is asleep. Nobody oh. is up. No one is around. No one's anywhere. Wow. And I actually went down the hall to my mother and father-in-law's room, and I peeked in. My father-in-law, was he was actually awake reading a book, but he was laying in bed. And I was like, did you just get up and come down to my son's room? And I, and he said, uh, no, Scott, I've been right here. And his, his wife was right next to him, out like a light. So I thought, oh, well, maybe it was my wife, Emily. So I go across all the way, which, by the way, wouldn't have even been the right direction. Go in there, peek in that room. She's asleep, stone asleep. Mm-hmm. My son's asleep. He was in a crib anyway. He couldn't have gotten out. And also it was, went from, it went into his room, not from his room. So whatever it was, I don't know. I never saw anything there again. It only happened the one time, but it was very pronounced for me. And the, the only thing that, the only explanation that I could come to was that somehow there was a skylight in the bathroom. Maybe a plane had flown over and somehow cast a shadow, but there, it, Ultimately, it's kind of physically impossible for that to be the case. Yeah. And if it if that was the case, it never happened again the whole time we lived there. Let me ask you this. Did you feel anything like deep down inside, any kind of sense of anything or feeling or like, you know, I mean, just even like ugh, a chill? Uh... I didn't have an ominous feeling, but I did have a feeling that something went down the hall. Yeah, I know what you're talking about because uh, something like that happened at work. And we had a, an old edit bay that's not in use anymore. It's cleared out, but we, we go down there and work. And I was with my friend John, and it's, you know, that edit bay lighting where it's kind of, uh, uh, there's a recessed uh, ceiling lights. Yeah. And it's kind of dimmable, but, you know, it was fairly bright light. But I'm, I'm sitting in one of the nice chairs talking to him. He's facing me, he's about 10 feet away. And I'm kind of reclining back with my arms over, stretching, and it looks like a shadow passes between me and the light. Definitely a shadow, like something flew over. Now, I didn't get an immediate feeling, but I looked at him. I said, did you see that? And he's like, no. Now, that's what creeped me out. Right. Is that, I don't know what he would have seen. It's not a ghost. He didn't react. But I'm pretty sure I saw something, a shadow pass over. And I asked him and and he said no. And that's when I was like, oh, that was just for me. And that, <laughs> you know, now, that, was that just out of the, and this gets back to the whole peripheral aspects of this, right? Well, there's uh, that's part of the uh, uh, the scientific explanation is what they call peripheral drift illusion. And that's what happens when it's... It, and there's something about seeing. There's something about sight. But it's something that happens in your peripheral vision. And sometimes they think it's between alternating contrasting light. Something will cause that. And it's basically the illusion of something stationary coming to life or moving. Something that shouldn't be moving is now moving in the corner of your eye. Right. And when, and one of the things that, that Art Bell used to talk about is how the, you would see these things way off to the side, and then when you turned to look, they weren't there. 
Yeah. Right. Right. And so it's in your prayer. So then is your mind playing tricks on you? Or remember in The Laughing Indian? When, of course. Uh, I was just about to mention that. Right. Mark, uh, who told the story, Brignoni, was talking about his mom had that friend that she said was <laughs> she would see out in the woods by that house who she described as a red coat, right? Yeah, a British red coat of the time. But she could never look right at him. No, but this is the other fascinating thing. Wherever she looked, it remained there. He was there. Yeah. He, he was ever present. Yeah. Now I you know, I have what they call floaters. Oh um, yeah, I do too. Oh, yeah, when you get older, this is not a bathroom reference. This is, uh, <laughs> these things in your eyes that kind of float around, they almost look like bugs or what you and you can never look at them because they're at a fixed point on your either on your lens or on your cornea or whatever yeah. and they fly around a little bit. Well, they're they're in your ocular fluid. Now everything is connected and you just brought up a good point because another scientific explanation I I feel I should mention here is what we talked about in the Dyatlov Pass episodes is infrasound. Now, there was a guy... Oh, that's right. It yeah. liquefies the fluid in your eyes and makes you well, see crazy it's vibrating. Uh, yeah. So that's attributed to a guy in 1998, Vic Tandy. He was an experimental officer and part-time lecturer in the School of International Studies and Law at Coventry University. But he was working on his... Uh, his he was a fencer. Okay. He, was a fo- he fought, uh, you know, or he sword fought. That can't be yeah. right. No, no. <laughs> I'm not sure he, fencer's right either. I think that's a guy that builds some for your yard. He fenced. Well, we have a guest in the studio. The point is it's fenced. He fenced as a pastime. I don't know professionally or on the collegiate level, but he was working on his foil, which is the sword. And it's a very thin, flat piece of metal, not meant to, not meant to really do any damage. I took fencing. Thank you. Well, then you should know. For I do know, say. but you should no. tell the listeners. Okay. No, no. I mean, you should know what the proper way to say that is. What, what, a fencer? He's a... Um, See, you don't even know. Okay. Anyway, stay out of it until I'm done. Anyway. So what I'm saying is that he he had this thing in a vice, and it one day it started vibrating wildly, and it's it's like whoa, there's a ghost in here, and then he saw a blob, a grayish blob, out of his peripheral vision. Now what they determined later, and what we say in Dyatlov, is that at frequencies at about I think NASA confirmed this at about 18 hertz, anything below 20 hertz is the bottom level of human hearing. You don't hear that anymore, but you can kind of feel it. It's a it's a deep vibration. Animals, large animals like whales and elephants, communicate even lower than that. But you're it's imperceptible. But in that room, they determined that it was an extraction fan that was causing this eight about eighteen to nineteen hertz uh, vibration, and the room was exactly the length of a wavelength. Okay. And in his foil was exactly in the middle, and it'd be like a standing wave. You know right. what I'm saying? Where the waves like are getting... a sympathetic vibration. Exactly. You're getting maximum vibration. So this thing was freaking out, and he's starting to see this blob. He's like, whoa, you know. But it's not. It's not anything ghostly. Yeah. However, the you know a lot of science will say like, well, that's all ghosts, or that's a majority of it. People are in these buildings that have a air fan or air induction or air exhaust system that's creating these vibrations, and I believe that's probably true. You're see- some people are seeing that. But it's not everything. That's what I'm. That's my point about these scientific explanations. They fall short at some point. So anyway, but it's it's the it's the fluid in your eye. And talking about floaters, I get them too. And if you look at the sun with your eyelids closed, to me they kind of look like looking at the little microscopic creatures yeah. under a microscope. Paramecium's. Right? Yeah, exactly. That, that's kind of what it looks like to me because I think you're getting some. Yeah, the reason the whole reason I mentioned that was because I was like, even if you were to say that Mark Brignoni's mom had a floater, that nobody <laughs> has a floater that looks like a British red coat. No, no, but there. <laughs> 
looks like it looks like a paramecium. But there is exactly, <laughs> but there is something, uh, Scott. One of the rules, something about sight and vision. Because remember, Marty in the Queen Mary story knew in his heart that if he looked away, it would vanish. Yes, and he kept his gaze fixed on it until he started even getting a headache. Yeah, know, I, yeah, yeah, and if you haven't heard that show, that's Queen Mary and the Haunted Valentine. I can't remember. That's way early on. It was, yeah, it was way earlier. Third or fourth episode. Yeah, but it's a good, scary one. Yeah. Uh, kind of freaky. Uh, but you know what? I, to me, not as scary as this because these are a little more three dimensional to me. They're not shades. They're not reflections or echoes or you know the stone tape theory where things are just kind of you know like places that have a lot of emotion are just reflecting human emotion and energy. There's something else going on here. Well, and the other thing is there's a physical aspect to the interactions, and there's a fair amount of these interactions where you could say, oh, well, the physicality, well, I couldn't wake up, and it's something – so in that case, it's a dream. It's a vivid dream. But there's other people who are like, oh, no, I was awake. I was clearly awake. Not only was I awake, something was shaking my bed violently. Yeah. And so there's physical, and then people are hearing things too. They're hearing voices. People are coming up. They're breathing. They're talking to them. It's like this is a whole lot of stuff. And you know, by the way, in that study that they did with where they were toying with that girl's right. brain, uh, she never said anything about hearing voices or feeling physical encroachment in her world or anything. It was all just about this shadow and this second person, which still yeah. in itself is weird. No, no, she like, said it was uncomfortable, but this, there's something, there's another added element to this. And again, like we mentioned with the God helmet, it's like they can create the tunnel of light and moving towards it, but not the relatives that are dead and passed on that are t- comforting you and talking to you, or the religious figures that some people report as they get pulled back to reality. Right. So then there, that begs the whole question about when you're using the God helmet or they're doing this study where they're poking around in the girl's brain or all that stuff is like, are, is, is it just that you're not able to recreate this in the way that the human mind can do it and if the human oh boy i shouldn't have even started this because i don't know how to uh, <laughs> i think our, i don't know how to say what i'm thinking okay but let me let me what i would be thinking or what i am thinking is that does this phenomenon if you want to say otherworldly or spiritual trigger something biochemical or physiological in the in the subject that carries and they carry it the rest of the way. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Is it is it is it a combination of two factors working together? Right. You're dipping your toe in the water, but like once you what you see when you're under the water, that's the thing. It's yeah. like because we can simulate certain aspects of this, but not all of it. Does that mean that we're just not that good at simulating it? Or does it mean that when it really happens it's something completely different? Right. You can show a picture of somebody's eyes from the nose up. And when they go to yawn, you don't really see their mouth yawning, but it will trigger a yawn in the person observing that. But that does, that does that mean you're tired? You know what I'm saying? There's another effect. There's something acting on this person from an outside physical force, be it spiritual or otherworldly, that is triggering. And in combination, this effect happens. Uh, because this is the thing. In 2010, a survey showed that shadow people were one of the top reported phenomenon. What does this also sound like to you, the description? To me, it sounds like Men in Black. Yeah. The Grinning Man. Yeah, that's and it sounds thing? a little bit like our favorite guy, Indrid Cold, who appeared in Point Pleasant when the Mothman showed up back in 1967 on the Ohio River. Who had a very wide grin. Wide grin, strange, his small beady eyes that were far set apart <laughs> and a metallic looking suit. Yeah. And There's... he seemed to be somewhat omniscient. 
Yeah. Um, oh, there's a great uh, Reddit thread. I know you're really into Reddit, but somebody claims to have been communicating with them in kind of a text message thing and also pulled the same, what am I holding in my hand gag? Right. Yeah, except it was a, a pet mouse. But a very interesting character. Yeah, no, you can it, believe almost nothing that you read on Reddit. <laughs> It is very entertaining. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of smart people out there, I noticed, but, you know, spurious uh, origins. Yeah. But the connection I would make is that there – now we're looking into the possibility of a grand unified paranormal world, a grand unified theory of the paranormal, the GUT, you know, in in, in astro – Yeah. Well, in astrophysics, exactly. In astrophysics, it's the GUT, the grand unified theory of everything, relativity, this and that. The multiverse, you can pull that into, string theory. Well, there's – yeah, there's a fair amount of people that say – or that conjecture that shadow people are – uh, something that's bleeding through from another dimension. And right. that they're actually just normal people, but the way that they manifest in our dimension is is a, it's perceived at this, as you said, this thing that sort of sucks light up. And, <laughs> you know, and then like normal people, some are good, some are bad, some yeah. are the, you know, it's just, it's almost like tourists from another dimension. <laughs> yeah, a little bit creepy tourists. I'd yeah. rather see a chubby guy wearing uh, socks and Birkenstocks you know, with, <laughs> in a camcorder, you know, or, or wearing Dockers. But I would say that the tie-in here is that the interdimensional aspect solves a lot of problems because, you know, that's another theory is that they're time travelers. They're actually us from, from another time observing us. But that's a really creepy way to do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, or, or if it's well, maybe us. you can't control it. <laughs> And the hat and the, you know, yeah, the hat and the strangling with the, with the choking and the sitting on the chair. You might send your cat. Oh, back in time? No, no. I mean, the shadow cat, remember? That's oh, I'm yes. But I'm seeming that quite as a, I, I might be allergic. That might cause some sneezing. <laughs> but it's not, there's something else about this in that there are other beings. I was going to mention, have you heard of the Grinning Man? Yeah, but I don't know why. I don't, I, I can't remember any specifics about the Grinning Man. Well, it was a part of a John Keel investigation. Now, you remember him. He's of course, the, he wrote yeah. The Mothman Prophecy. Exactly. Yeah. Well, his book wasn't called that. The movie was called The Mothman Prophecy. The book was called something else. But anyway, he's the he's point the print, pl- yeah. quintessential expert on the Mothman. Right. Point and I read pleasant. his book. Yeah. Which, of course, I can't remember the name of now. But we'll have a link to it up with this show. Right. Because it, it also deals with other interdimensional beings, if you will. Glowing red eyes, strange creatures, Indrid cold, more human-like. This event happened, I guess, with two young men, I think in New Jersey, who see this guy by the side of the highway. And it was the way it's described, it's, it, I can't remember exactly now, but he's down in a very impossible place that where it would be really hard to walk down to. Uh-huh. And he's in sight. And it's this tall, strange guy wearing a green jumpsuit, a bodysuit of some kind, with this impossibly wide grin okay. and a bright, shiny silver belt. Now, you know what made me think of right away? Uh, Power Rangers? Close. <laughs> well, there wasn't. There wasn't three others and other, you know, co- coordinating right. colors. Yeah. What he did have this belt and the suit reminded me of Spring Hill Jack. Oh yeah. And that's the sure. connection I'm making. Yeah. Is there some parallel there? Because that was often the description of Spring Hill Jack: a white oilskin, weird jumpsuit, a bodysuit of some kind. Uh, I think the one description is he had a, a bright medallion that uh, shot flame. Yeah. Hey, or that's something. right. Yeah. Yeah. Blue, yeah. blue, smokeless flame. The smokeless flame, the smokeless fire also describes the djinn. 
D-J-I-N-N, where we get the word genie. But that, to me, is more of a demonic kind of a, a spectral character. But like you well, said... You're going to have to explain the jinn a little bit more, you can, if you're well, going to yeah. bring it up. Okay, well, it comes from Middle Eastern myth and lore about, again, like a genie. It's somebody, who, but not the... the not the Disney kind where he's fun and it's Robin Williams. Right. It, it could be a trickster god or somebody that's malevolent or somebody good. But if they're good to you, they exact a price. You must do something for them. Right. But they're highly intelligent. They've got a, a thing out for human beings that they're really not friendly, that they're a little bit jealous. That's one description. But that's coming into the into the zeitgeist, as you would say, more and more. I see more talk about the the jinn, and we some it's J I N N or D J I N N, but a fascinating subject. But I see them more as kind of the the demon aspect of it, or the trickster, you know, the trickster entity. But they were described as as coming from smokeless fire, and whereas humans are de- are described as coming from the dirt or the dust. They are something else. Angels coming from light. So you see all these kind of mythical things rooted in very ancient history, but applicable today. I think as we have shown, and as I said pretty much at the top of the show, it's a broader category than you think it is once you start looking at it. Shadow people. What are shadow people? What are the different kinds of shadow people? And let's not forget the shadow cat. The shadow cat, black-eyed kids we didn't really talk about. They fall under different rules, but they want something from you. Again, what do they want? It seems the black-eyed kids, and maybe because they are kids and (laughs) juveniles, they have to ask permission. Yes. They ask for permission to come into your house, to use the phone or the bathroom, or to get a ride in your car because they don't have money for the bus. Can you give us a ride? Yes. Do not let these kids in your car. No. And they, well, <laughs> I mean, that goes without saying. No, I but, think, so, but and you know what? Some people they have. don't need your help. No, but, uh, well, that's the thing. They you need your soul. Well, they want to use your bathroom, but they yeah. don't leave right away. That's the problem is that people have let them into their house and let them into their car, but they're very hard to get rid of and they don't seem to want to leave. A lot of people have reported having bouts of bad luck. There's a great story that I heard a woman goes to like a grocery store on her way home from work. She's got her like 10-year-old boy in the car. She comes out and she sees that he's let in a couple of kids into the back seat because, you know, kids are trusting. Yes. Kids are trusting. And so uh, they're sitting in the backseat, but she notices there are no whites to their eyes. They're like black polished coal. And they have strange, again, antiquated clothing, but maybe from the 50s, like Opie and, uh, you know, from, from Mayberry or Leave it to Beaver. They, they seem out of place, and there's a very bad vibe coming off of them. And it's, can you take us to your house? And she knows, you have to get out of my car right now. Like, get out. And I, I actually think, heard this story. Yeah, and I think she, else. she eventually gets them out of the car, but I think she's so freaked out. I think she calls her husband. I'm a little unclear on this aspect of the story, but I think the husband gets in a bad accident coming over to pick them up or to meet with her. There's some. There's about yeah, a bad luck. There's a, there's a car accident somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, no one's killed, but it's not something you want to experience. So that's the point. Don't let them in. They're otherworldly. They happen middle of the day or late at night, which is weird because if they're real kids playing a prank, why is it one in the morning and they're they're ten year old kids out by themselves? Plus, they're also wearing full eyeball contact, <laughs> which they got off the internet. Which I'm I'm sure is scratching do they their corneas. They don't make those, right? Yeah, they're not. They're oh, not. They do. They do but you, uh, they uh, they're our, not good our, for you. Our they're studio not, guest says they <laughs> our expert. They're not good for you. They will scratch your corneas, and they're, they're not recommended by your ophthalmologist. But the point is, anything for a good prank. Well, sometimes, yeah, but that's no, one. I'm that's I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm not saying I don't no. Don't do that, kids. Yeah, but because I 
it, they're, it, they're freaky. They're freaky, but people say, well, they're just kids out playing a prank. But my point coming back to all this, if you experience this firsthand, you will know that this is not your run-of-the-mill kind of kids playing pranks. They have a very hypnotic effect on people. and uh, Very think, similar to the Men in Black. It's the same kind of exactly. interactive. And, and Indrid Cold and probably the Grinning Man. And, and you were actually going to mention the Slender Man at some point, right? I mean, well, that's another option. Which offshoot. is a fictional character, by the way. Right, but... Blatantly uh, fictional. No, because it was a contest, I think, on, on something awful, the online forum, kind of a Photoshop contest. And I, I don't want to get into this. You can certainly look it up. It had some very horrible outcomes when people start to take this too seriously, and especially small children who are 12, and uh, something bad happened in Waukesha. I don't really really want to get into that, but there was a stabbing. If you want to take that to another direction, you know, there is the thing called the Tulpa, which is a Tibetan Buddhist thought creature. And the idea is that enough people have meditative, focused, direct thought on something, you can actually create a physical being. I don't know what the purpose is, but the right there is scary. And, and that was an, a great X-Files episode as well. But the Tibetan Buddhists, that's, that's a real thing to them. You can talk about the golem, yeah. which is created out of clay. You put, you put your instructions in its mouth and it carries them out and it could be murder. At could, night, right? Doesn't it? Pretty much know. any time of the day. Okay. You know, you got to get the, I think you have, you have to print clearly. That's at, the, at, on right, the piece of paper. 1030. Yeah. <laughs> you, well, it, it follows directions very well, which I, I appreciate in uh, coworkers nowadays that <laughs> just follow directions. But uh, the point is that it's another spiritual mystical entity that some people really believe in. And I, I will say that the, the Tibetan Buddhists really believe in that. And in the Jewish Kabbalistic tradition, they believe in the Golem. And apparently there's a real one in a synagogue, I, th I think in Prague. Oh, right, locked away, right? I think so, that I'd heard that was created by a rabbi in the 1400s. And apparently it's still there. They don't let anybody see it, yeah. but they claim it's real. And I mean, they're, they're going with this story. It's not like, you know... I don't think that if they're selling tickets to it, that's one thing, but they don't let anybody see it. And of course, there's been lots of requests. Yeah, I don't want to see that. No, I, I really have no purpose it for that. It be locked up. That's plus, okay. Yeah, plus I like to do things for myself. You know, <laughs> I'm going to carry out my own uh, uh, evil deeds. It's going to be me. Uh, but in 1998, the first, I think, major reported story was Brian Bethel. Uh, he was a journalist, and I think that was on that show, Destination America, where he described that. Oh, yeah. He he saw these two kids, like, give us, give us a ride to the bus station, you know, and he just, he was, he felt like, no, uh, I can't do this. But unbeknownst to him, he was already starting to unlock the car door. Right. That's something that's common with the black-eyed kids. Which, they you know, have a by the way, we can do a whole episode yeah. on Black oh, Kids. But a lot of these subjects that we're know. mentioning are whole shows in and of themselves. Right. But the fact that they have a hypnotic effect, like the men in black, like you should stop looking at this UFO business. And, yeah. uh, and oh, there, yeah, there was another grinning man. I remember this great description of a guy showing up at your door with a really wide, impossibly wide face and wide grin, ear to ear. I mean, like Joker style. Yeah. Eyes that were just giant frog-like things going back and forth, said nothing. That alone is a message, you know. Right. But, but short, and not a very tall. A lot of times these are described as very tall people. This one was short, but he still had the hat. Still had the, 50s, still had the 50s get up. All right, so before we wrap this up, we probably should address, because we've clearly had a lot of listeners that have had very real issues with shadow people. Yes. What can people do to get them out of their lives? 
Well, I would say from the scientific angle, of course, don't do meth. That's (laughs) get plenty of sleep. Yeah. Don't probe your brain with a 10 milliamps at the temporal parietal junction on the left side. But in all seriousness, look, I, I think people have been truly frightened and scared and they want answers. And I think, as you mentioned earlier, just between us, maybe, is that sometimes people look for answers from us or people who have studied. That's the case always in the movies. You have to go to the professor who knows what they're doing. Right. And uh, look, all I can tell you is that from what I've studied, there's a couple of things you can do to kind of protect yourself and maybe get rid of these guys pretty quickly. They're not all guys. Sometimes people describe seeing female figures as well. And cats. (laughs) And cats. But seriously, people do believe that, as Heidi Hollis says in her book, the Secret War, a true story about a real alien war and shadow people. Now it gets, yeah, it gets wondering if that's fringy. That's it gets kind there. of out there. Yeah. It gets very spiritual, but she's talking about a real battle of good and evil. Right, which is one yeah. of the most enduring themes in human history. It is the theme, yeah. Scott, of yeah. human. It, and, uh, you know, where are we going here? What's going to happen to us? But something that she says you can do is invoke the name of Jesus. I think if you believe... Now, yeah, you got to have faith. you got to have faith. One of the great scary miniseries that I saw as a kid, Salem's Lot. And, 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 the yeah. most frightening. Well, folks, one of the most frightening <laughs> things I've ever seen on TV, honestly. The one vampire with the two fangs uh, in the middle, they're not in the right place. Mr. Barlow. But, but if, you're going, that? if you're going to puncture a, uh, an artery, what <sighs> better positioning? Now, it, then, yeah. Weren't they in the crawl space? Too? Like in that, they open the door. Yeah, yeah. boy, Stephen King. Takes, man. Stephen King, he's that the master. That is a scary, that is a scary. Yeah. That was, yeah. But a great, anyway. a, you know, a great scene in that, though, is that uh, Kurt Barlow, the vampire, is about to take his vengeance on a priest, and the priest holds up a crucifix. And I can't remember who says this, but basically he tells the priest, well, that's not going to work because you've lost your faith. And it doesn't. And he grabs the crucifix and he snaps it in half because you need faith for these things to work. So are you are you implying that faith is the is the weapon and not necessarily the type of faith but just faith in general? I think there are certain things that will protect you and it's a it's a state of mind. Again, from what I've read, I don't know if this works. If it doesn't, please don't ask for your money back. Yeah. But it's a state of mind where you are in a protective state. It could involve prayer. You could invoke the name of Jesus. Now we had one listener write in asking me about Edgar Casey. And we will do a whole show on him. He's very fascinating, and he's called America's Sleeping Prophet. And he was around in the 30s and 40s giving readings to people, totally asleep in a trance. But what he said as well, to protect yourself from evil entities that you may come across, is that you can also invoke the name of Jesus or imagine yourself in a spiritual state. And it seems to have some effect, because I will say, out of all these stories we hear, sometimes it angers the whatever it is, but it usually gets them to go away. They usually go away on their own. That was the other thing I was going to mention is that, yes, they they choke people, but again, we're going to the rules. I've never heard of a story yet where somebody was strangled to death. Yeah, but however, yeah, how, how are you going to tell that story? How are you going to tell somebody who actually died in <laughs> yeah. their sleep yeah. that that's not what happened to them? Oh, there's plenty of unsolved strangulations, I'm betting, in the... Right. Uh, in the Eh, you never know. But I would say, look, you, what, what else are you going to do? You're not going to shoot them. That's not probably not going to work. So, I, You know, in the book that I was mentioned at the top of the show, the Jason Offit's book, which I need to cite, actually, did I bring it in here? Yes, here yeah. we go. <clears throat> Darkness Walks, The Shadow People Among Us by Jason Offit. There was a case in there where somebody who had written into his blog said that they had found that simply playing music 
was a good defense. Yeah, not just any, just any kind of music, I guess. So it's well, if you're going to ask me, I would say it's probably a, a harmonic vibrational kind of a good <laughs> good vibe thing you're you're doing because that's not what they're about. They're about darkness and feeding off of your fear. And I've often said this, I think the currency of the universe is energy, and fear and terror is a very powerful energy. Who knows what they want, but what else do you have to offer them? Your soul energy, your spark of life. It's not, it's not your big screen TV that they're after. It's something that you have inherently in you. Well, this is the thing. Thousands of people over thousands of years and hundreds of cultures have been seeing them, which you mentioned earlier. That means the experience of seeing them is very real. Exactly. The unanswerable question, at least right now, is are shadow people themselves real? Well, I'll tell you, the most frightening thing to me about shadow people is that they don't care whether you believe in them or not. Shadow people come looking for you, and all they want is for you to be afraid. That's going to wrap up our 2015 Halloween show. Thank you so much for letting us into your head. We'll be back in two weeks with a new show. Special thanks to listeners Meredith Ebersol, Jessica Broughton, and Nick. Our theme was composed by Judson Crane, and our sound designer is Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to Tess Feifel for managing our research department. But most of all, we want to thank our listeners. You can find us online at Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, and at AstonishingLegends.com. Copyright Scott Philbrook. And Forrest Burgess. Happy Halloween. <laughs>